I know it's Sunday morning. I know you're still tired, but think about the words as you sing this song and make it your prayer this morning. John chapter 4 this morning, continuing our series of lessons on 1 John. As we turn to 1 John, let me say that we're glad to see you in church this morning. And that last congregational song, the only congregational song this morning about the Holy Spirit opening our eyes, our ears, and then our mouths. Um, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, used men to write the Bible. It is the inspired word of God. We have it in our possession right now in the King James Bible and we believe that it is God's perfect word therefore we should ask God to open our eyes to see what he has for us open our ears 
that we listen attentively to what he teaches us and then we practice what he says. Amen. And if you do that, if you're a Christian, if you do that, you'll gain knowledge, you'll gain understanding, you gain wisdom, and your life generally goes in an upward direction because you begin to see yourself as God shows how you really are and then you can make some changes as God directs you. So the Spirit of God is the important person in our lives. Where is he? Where is the Holy Spirit? Let me just take 30 seconds. Where is the Holy Spirit? Take your left, I'm left hand. Take your, left, take your right finger and point where he resides, where he lives. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and he is with you. And he is the one who wrote the Bible or inspired to write the Bible. It is his words and we have it right now and we need to ask God to help us to understand what he says. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church. We pray for your blessings on the scriptures. A lot of these things seem to be repetitious in 1 John, but it's because you want to emphasize certain things to us. Help us to uh, see what you want us to see. Help us to hear in our hearts what you are telling each of us. And then help us to cooperate, conform to what you say to us. Thank you that we have a place to come to hear the word of God, to learn it. We ask your blessings of each one that is here and for those who are in the classrooms and give us a blessing. And we thank you for giving us your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 John chapter 4. By the way, as I turn here myself, we have a visiting retired pastor from Canada. This is Pastor Leroy Pinnell. And he's on a cruise with his wife, first time to Hawaii. By the way, by the way, if any of you here have time to drop them off back of the ship, save them some taxi fare, okay? And so uh, they don't take Canadian men around here. <laughs> By the way, if you if you drop them off on the way home, it's just down at um, down Bishop Street, and then uh, I think it's down whichever harbor he's on, it's very close. You drop them off, he might let you go on board ship, and uh, might take you with him. <laughs> All right, we're glad to have you, brother. First uh, John chapter four. And come down to verse number 6, verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. 1 John 4, verses 6 through 8. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Now we almost went over this the last time, and the love of God and God's love and how a Christian ought to love is uh, almost a repetitious, redundant theme in First John, but it, he says it here, we're trying to go through the scriptures and emphasize what the Lord emphasizes. And so in verse number six, let me just point this out to us. Verse number six, we, we, are of God we are of God we who are saved we are born of God and we ought to realize what a blessing that is to say that we are of God the opposite would be of the devil or of the world even but he says John writes we are of God what a blessing that should be to us and realize who we are in Christ 
Amen. Whenever you feel a little bit discouraged because of circumstances, just stop, get you a quiet place, stop, and just do some reflection. Just stop and think about who you are. We are of God. We are of God. I am of God. I am born of God. I am a child of God. I'm not just Chinese, although that's pretty good. Uh, I'm not just Caucasian, although that's, you know, troublemakers. Uh, and uh, Filipinos and whatever else too. So, uh, joking, okay? But stop and think who you are. I am of God. God is my Father. I know Christ is my Savior. When I die, I'm going to heaven. In this life, whatever happens, I am of God. And that's a blessing to think about. If you want to get out of this thing called the doldrums, where you don't seem to be going anywhere in your life, you're just stuck, you're just drifting around, there's no wind to carry your sailboat anywhere else, you're stuck in the doldrums. When you get to that place in your life for a moment or two, or even a day or two, even a week or two, just stop and think. This could help you to feel a little bit more encouraged. I am of God. That is a real blessing. And so the lesson so far that you're learning practically is that you go back to what you know is true from the Bible. That helps you to step forward, take another step forward. That helps each of us to almost overcome real trials that you go through by knowing who you are. Okay? You have to not try to be psychological, philosophical. Just think biblically. I am of God. I am God's child. Are things always good in life? It doesn't seem to be sometimes. If you are a sailor, we saw some sailors coming over from Bay. If you are a sailor, if you're a sailor, it's nice when the water's really calm. But you know, if you sail, water is not always calm. Sometimes there's a lot of strong wind and that causes a lot of waves and problems and you go like this. I went out with my wife and some other people a long time ago in Koala Basin. A, a man who was uh, had a student in school offered to take some people on the staff for a boat ride off of uh, one afternoon after school. i never been on a sailboat before at that time and have not since because he took us out, not even two or three miles, and uh, it got rough. I made the mistake of going below deck. I went below deck, it was horrible. And then uh, he said, what are you doing? I said, I don't feel good. He says, stay on board, don't go below deck. Well, I already done it. And so sailing is really fun, I, I think, but sometimes the water's rough. In the Christian life, it's like that. Sometimes it gets rough. And you just need to remember life is like that. And when life gets like that, uh, because of your fault or someone else's fault or nobody's fault, just remember who you are. I am of God. Amen. Okay? I'm of God. Now, sometimes I, we all have to remember that. And uh, on a practical level, uh, I have to remember who I am in relationship to my wife or my family. Uh, I'm very blessed to have my wife as my wife and have my two kids and then, of course, the, the million grandkids. And that is a blessing. And sometimes when you feel kind of, uh, uh, you know, but you stop and think, okay, I get to go home to my family. I get to go home to my wife. I get to go home to... You know, my comfort, my, 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 not my castle, but my home. My home. I get to go home to that every day. The day may be hard on the outside. People give you a hard time. Whatever. You still get to go and you stop and think, I have a wife that loves me, cares for me, prays for me, and she overlooks my fault. I get to go home to her 
and uh, if irritate her, I know that she still loves me. That's a real blessing, and so on. So we are of God, and so um, we need to remember, though we are of God, we are not. We, though we are of God, we're not. We're not complete or totally mature. We are of God. We're born of God. We're children of God. But we're not totally mature yet. Yet. We're still growing. You could be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. You could be 10. You're still growing in Christ since the time you got saved. Okay? Now, if you've been saved 20 years, you should be more mature than a 5-year-old Christian. That ought to be normal. So we all should be growing in the right direction to be more like Christ. So even though we are of God, we're not all totally mature, fully grown yet. One day we will be. That day will not be in this lifetime. At the rapture, when we see the Lord at death, either way, when we see Him, we'll be complete then. In the meantime, be encouraged that you are of God. Look at verse number four. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and so we have overcome john says this is in anticipation of overcoming and because they have overcome they have overcome he says what them overcome them he has been talking about false teachers and uh, um, evil spirits as as, as uh, contrasted to the Spirit of God and so we have overcome them because we have the Holy Spirit in us and he will cover that in just a little bit in a few verses and so when I think about verse 4 about overcoming my mind does your mind go to other things when you read the Bible it should it should go to other scriptures other other thoughts and my mind goes to the fact that uh, when he says overcoming 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 overcome them he gives a reason why because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world now let's look at who is that one that's greater than the world that's in you we did say earlier before we began that the holy spirit lives in us i'm going to think he means the holy spirit that's in us or even christ is in us and is anyone more powerful and more awesome and more great than the holy spirit or god himself jesus himself no of course not so he's in us. We have the potential to overcome things that would pull us down. We have the potential to overcome the devil, not in our own strength, in our own power, or in our own formulas, our own religious thing. No, no. It's because of who we are in Christ. We have the ability to overcome. That is to really emphasize, and I want to emphasize that to us. We don't have to be under circumstances. We don't have to be under a problem. We can be on top of it, not because of the arm of the flesh, but because of who lives in us. Now, I will tell you that we all have a tendency to, to lose it. You know what I mean when they say lose it? Yeah. You ever see football coaches or football players when they lose it? They're out of control. Referee says, referee throws a flag, 15-yard penalty. The defensive back says, I didn't touch him. I was two feet from him. I didn't even touch him. Referee says, you, you, you interfered with him, catch the ball, so I throw a flag. And, and the guy, he takes up some throws on the ground, he gets kicked out of the game. He has lost it. Well, yet some players, they got a foul call on them, and they didn't do it, but they don't lose it. Something, on a human level, 
somebody still has enough self-control so they don't lose it it's because of some factors i'll give you one factor when it comes to sports for example not losing it they don't want to lose the game because of their bad behavior they have been coached to be under control play hard but be under control fight to win but don't lose control of your emotions <laughs> some people lose control of the emotions because they have forgotten maybe what the coach has taught them all week long and some are in the control under the most extreme circumstances totally innocent but called for a foul it's hard to take but something keeps them from losing it what keeps the Christian from losing it the Holy Spirit in him and remembering scripture so before he just reacts he stops and thinks about who he is I am of God who lives in me Jesus the Holy Spirit can he help in this moment yes I will admit to you it's hard sometimes to just remember that when you about to lose it you know what makes me lose it if you ask me I'll tell you I'm glad you asked me people who drive and put lipstick on their mouth when they're driving people who drive and text and use the phone and they don't pay attention of their surroundings while they're driving dangerous irritating aggravating I feel like being a self-appointed Barney Fife citizens arrest citizens arrest get off the road and there's so many people like people who walk like this crossing the street step off the curb fall call the ambulance I think good you deserve that no so those kind of things really aggravate you and if you're a human you might have something in your life that aggravates you too I have a friend in church he's a friend of yours too he works downtown on Bishop Street he sees us all the time about what I just did and he says the same thing good they cross they don't pay attention they're obsessed with the phone and so greater is he this in you the spirit of truth we have a new nature don't we we have a new nature the Holy Spirit's in us the Lord's in us we have quite an advantage over the spirit of error which leads to error we have the spirit of truth it leads us to God's truth remember that the spirit of truth John 16 always leads us to the truth how can you tell if God is leading you because God leads you to the truth if you're in a dilemma of some sort you go around in circles then if you go to the Bible it will lead you to the truth if you are a Christian and you have a dilemma about a scripture or something the Lord will lead you to some clarification within the scripture he will not take you from something to something that will contradict the scriptures. He always takes you to something to confirm the scriptures. And so that's how you can know if God is leading into the truth. Because he leads you to the truth, not away from the truth. Uh, things of principle, things of morality, things of doctrine. He does not lead you away from those things. So I'll just simply say it like this. The truth. And then you have on this side, error. You're here. What do I do? Well, if you're being led by the Lord, He leads you this way. If you're not being led by the Lord, then something, some other spirit is leading away from that. So, the the whole issue here is the Word of God is your truth, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will lead you toward truth and more truth and more truth, not away from the truth. Uh, say, for example. Um, um, 
Well, let's see. There's several things in my head right now. Just several, not a lot. There's a few things in my head. If you have a question about who should I marry? Well, maybe that's not relevant to us, but who should I marry? Uh, if you're a group of teenagers, let me just use that example. Who should I marry? I think I'm in love with this person. Okay, well, let's see. Here is this girl. She's kind of cute, right? Kind of cute girl. And here's this guy. Kind of a good looking guy. <laughs> Mom, I think I love him. Mom, Christian girl, mom, I think I love him. Christian guy, mom, I think I love her. I think I'm in love. Well, how do you know? You should forward and pursue this relationship. What should they do as Christians? What should their parents do as Christians? They should steer them to the Bible and see what the Bible says, what is a, what kind of a person should I be involved with? Assume that they are of age to be involved. No, if they're 15, forget it. Parents just say, you know what, honey, don't even think about it because nothing's going to happen until you're older, way older. Son, forget about it. You think you love her. You may think you love her and you may love her, but forget it because you ain't going to do nothing with her until you're 80 years old. <laughs> and, and, and honey, I know you think you're in love with her, but forget it. Until you're 45, nothing's going to happen. In other words, the principle is you, for them, he has to be able to support a potential wife. Why date someone if you cannot consummate your romance? And why would you even do that if you can't support her in marriage? But I have a job. Okay, what kind of job do you have? I got a steady job. I work five days a week, sometimes six days a week. Good. Well, so you want to marry, you think you support her? I can. What is your job? I deliver newspapers. Oh, you're a paper boy. How much do you make a week? $45. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. But you're too young to think that you can support her for $45 a week. You are not really mature yet. Wait. Now, God will always lead someone into the truth and take you away from emotional impulses and uh, cutting corners and getting to head ahead. And so the truth will be what comes to your mind, and that's how you learn to know that the Holy Spirit is guiding you. He guides you into the truth. That's just one example. When it comes to the Bible, uh, when it comes to issues that are of doctrine, uh, the deity of Jesus, is he or is he not the Son of God? Is he is not God the Son? Is he just a spirit? As John had to debate about that and others. Uh, is he someone who is just another Messiah, another Savior? Is he one of many or is he the only one? What is he like? If someone is teaching you that Jesus Christ was just a spirit, he was not a material, physical person, a man that walked the earth, then that is not God teaching you that. That's error. If someone says Jesus Christ was just one of many manifestations of God in human history, like Baha'u'llah has taught the Baha'i faith, the Baha'i faith says that there are different prophets in different ages, and uh, Moses was one, Abraham was one, and Jesus was another, and now we have another prophet. They have a quite a big following. 
people believe that. If you are proposed with that, you would say, is that the truth? Lord, teach me the truth. The, the, if you open the Bible, it'll take you to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That's how that works out. And so, um, the spirit of truth leads us to the truth. Now, uh, how do we know God loves us? Look at verse number 7. Verse number 7. The theme of love comes up again. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Okay, listen to that statement. That's a verse, that's a little uh, statement that people throw around, God is love. Now, let me ask this question. The Bible says God is love. You believe that. You believe that God is love. You believe that because of other verses like in 1 John and other scriptures, John 3, 16. You believe that. But my question is, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know that God is love? The Bible says so. The song, the great song in our hymn, what page is it? The, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to something like that. The lowest hell. And it, the chorus says, or the second verse says, could we rethink? Could we rethink? Could we rethink? Oh, yeah. Could we rethink the ocean fill and every stalk and every man I describe our trade and every stalk on earth a quill? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, and the, the sky, if it were the prospect, was not big enough to contain the love of God. In other words, it's so massively huge. But how do you know it's true? That's just what you read. How do you know that it's true? How can you tell that God does love? How do you know that He is love? That's just a, a, a bunch of words. How do you know it's true? Well, you remember that when John talks about love, he talks about loving your brother, loving others. And he says in verse number 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Okay, that's an action. For reason, love is of God. Everyone that loveth, action, is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. So you're getting a clue as how you know God is love. God is invisible. You don't see him, but what did he do to show you, mere mortals, that he is love? Something had to be done for you to see the reality of God is love. The, the concept of God loving is, that is so good to know if it is true. How did God convince anyone, the world, that he is love? He says that he is, but how does he convince man who has not seen God, that he is love. So try to get a hold of that, what I'm trying to tell you. There is something that tells us, the world, that God is love. It's not because he said so. This is what he said. It's a megaphone. This is what he said, God is love. But how do you, I can't, I can't drag this on any longer. You know that God is love because because, look at verse number 9. In this was manifested, revealed, shown, made clear, made evident. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. That's how you know 
that God is love. He said so, but then he showed us so. Not only telling us, he showed us. Show and tell. Tell and show. <laughs> tell and show. So this is how you know, this is how we know that God is love. And uh, this, is sub this is not subjective, this is objective. This is history, this is a fact. And uh, Jesus Christ, when he came and gave his life for us, that's how we know that God is love. He demonstrated. He showed it. Talk is cheap. And even if someone wants to believe that the Bible is true, God says, I'm going to come down and show you by my actions that I love you. I'm going to prove it to you by my actions. And that's what he did. That's how you know that God is the He showed to sinners that he loves them because he came and died for us on the cross. Now, the world doesn't believe that God is love. I want you to realize that. The world does not believe that God is love. Think about this, when something goes wrong, what? Did we have some bad weather in Florida? Did you know that um, my brother-in-law and her sister, they have a home in Fort Myers Beach where it came right over? They sent us some video of their two-story home. The bottom was flooded, and the area was all flooded. And so when those things happen, what do people first say? Why did God allow this? Why did God? If God, if, if God is love, why did he allow this to happen? That's what they all say. And then some benevolent, good Christians come by. They want to help out the people with all kinds of support. And they say, here, God bless you, God loves you. And they say, they, they receive all the water and the food and things and the, the blankets and something to help them just to be kind. And they say, God is love, huh? Is that right? If God is love, how come this happened to my house? Well, they're taking all the, the support and help from the people that are Christians. So they're very skeptical. They have a bias against God is love. But there are two things at force, right? And they... They say that very generally until they are convinced by the benevolence of different organizations, Christian organizations, that God is love. And they, you know, I don't know why it happened, but yeah, I believe God's love because you showed love to me. But can you, can you see that people who are unaware of what the Bible teaches, they instinctively say, if God is love, how come I got a divorce? If God is love, how come my husband and my wife, how come my kids, how come the hospital failed and in surgery, my husband died? How come that happened? Things happen like that many times in this world that you're not aware of. I don't uh, I have knowledge about a lot of things. I'll tell you one thing that seems very tragic. And you can say, as you hear this story, well, if God is love, how come we let that happen? A couple was engaged to get married uh, in the Chicago area. The the The... The bride-to-be lived about, um, she lived in another town. They wouldn't have a wedding rehearsal on a Friday night uh, at the church, Christian people. She was going to have to drive from work about 30 miles to get to the wedding rehearsal that night. On the way to her own wedding rehearsal, her car got hit front on, head on with a, by a drunk driver. She never arrived at the wedding rehearsal at the church. And when they found out what happened, it was devastating, as you can imagine. Outsiders can say, well, yeah, what kind of God is that? 
they're Christians. You think God loved them, he let that happen. You see the skepticism of people? The people who were Christians, you know, they had to resort to scripture to give them comfort in their great tragedy. And so God showed his love to us because of what he did, the cross. Right. In this is manifest the love of God to us in that he sent his son. And so the cross proves God's love for us. And in verse number nine, notice this. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Toward who? Toward people, toward souls, toward sinful men. Men who by nature <coughs> would reject him, mock him, yet he still came. Now is that, if that's not love, I don't know what that is. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might, notice carefully, live through him. And so Christ came, proved his love. He died for us that we could live. What a paradox. He died so we could live. He died so we could live. Gave his life so we could live. Sacrificed himself so we could live. That's love. I would not sacrifice. If you say, get me out of prison, or if you say, uh, if you give me your right hand, they'll let me free, go free. I wouldn't do it for you. <coughs> Sorry, I need my right hand. <laughs> if they said, you know, you give me your left hand, give me your left arm, and this family could be rescued from something, I wouldn't do it. I'm, I might love you, but not that much. Now, don't look at me and say, well, what kind of pastor are you? Would you do that for me? I don't know about that. Because this is a great sacrifice to give up a limb for somebody else. Now, it's nothing to give up an organ, a kidney. Hey, that's, you can still live, right? But um, transplant and uh, organ donation, some of those things um, you can live without. And that's a sacrifice. Now, blood transfusion, blood transfusion. That's in a way of sacrifice. One time, a brother and a sister, uh, a brother got into a real accident. He had that blood transfusion. And then, uh, it's either a brother or a friend. You know, she had the right blood type. And so she volunteered to give her blood as for transfusion. An old story. And as she was getting the transfusion, she was doing this. The nurse says, are you okay? Does it pinch? Does it hurt? No, I'm just waiting. The nurse says, waiting for what? She says, I'm just waiting to die. What? She says, excuse me? I'm giving up my blood, I'm gonna die. She says, oh no honey, you're not gonna die. You're not gonna die. But she thought if she gave her blood to someone else, she was gonna die. She was willing to give her blood. You know what the Lord did? Not only did he willingly give his life's blood, knowing he would die, that's the big difference here. Now, that's real love. All right, uh, so he gave his life for us that we might live. We might live. He died so we might live. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I dare say that modern Christianity is really void of any type of genuine Christian love going in that direction. We are so bothered by convenience or inconvenience. We cannot do something because it, it takes up some of our time. It takes up some of our resources. We just cannot because we're so, it's so hard for us to, to sacrifice something. 
I'll be careful about it too, but I'm just saying this is the kind of love that God has for us. He showed it by coming and giving his life's blood. Second Corinthians 5.15. 5.15. The Paul says this, and that he died for all. I want you to notice that word all. When Christ came to show his love for us and went to the cross, he died for all. A-L-L. -L, for all. Who is the all? Everyone. He died for everyone. Even including those who were not born in his time. He died for all, that they which live, oh, okay, so because of his death we get to live, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now there's a very practical consequence, outcome of us having life because of Jesus Christ. We then don't live for ourselves, we live for him. He died for us. We have real life, eternal life, and life on earth. That's called the abundant life in John 10, 10. And because we have this, and as, it, as we realize these things that has happened spiritually to us, we begin to look to what the Lord did for us in a, in spiritually and say, I need to... And, and somehow, it, 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 there's no certain time or day or feeling, but you, you have this sense like, I am so grateful that the Lord died for me. I'm so grateful that I have eternal life that I want to do something for Him. I want to live my life for him. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 that you're not your own, you bought the price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies, which are his. We naturally want to do, live a life, I should say, not just do as an activity, but want to live a life that is to honor Jesus Christ. It just comes naturally. That's how it should go. And yet, in our modern American Christianity, we seem to be more obsessed with what pleases us and what makes us happy. What can I get in this lifetime? I'm going to pray to God in faith and get what I want to get. And that's what God is there for to give me what I want. Not so. Not so. Not so. We have been infected by bad teaching in this world by so-called Christians to think that you will get everything you pray for, everything you desire. You do, you do have some faith, they say, you're going to get it. Not so. Not so. But what is so is that since we have life from God, from Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we are obligated to live for Him. Now, if you feel coerced to live for Him, if you feel forced to live for Him, just back off. And it's not to please any church or any man. It's between you and God. If you have no desire to live for Him, and you say to your Christian, I would say, check up on your own heart. Don't go looking and pointing fingers at somebody else and say, He made me do this. He made... No, no, no one's making you do anything. God is the one who is leading you. He's your Savior. You're the one who's supposed to be living for Him. Period. All right. Uh, now come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He died so we might live. In 2 Corinthians 5, Christ died for us that we may live for Him. Now come to 1 Thessalonians. In Hawaii, we say Thessalonians. Come to First Thessalonians, but there's an H there. It's not Thessalonians. Oh, by the way, Stan, I have to ask you something before you leave today. Okay, you and John, real fast. I forgot to text you. Um, First Thessalonians chapter 5. There's another thing you want to remember about why the Lord died for you and what He expects as a believer. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and come to verse number 9 and 10. 9 and 10. For God hath not appointed us uh, to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us, who died for us, 
prove his love for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together. The next two words is what I want you to see. That we should live together. What are the next last two words? With, with him. So here's what you have. Christ died for us so we can live. He died for us so that we can live for him. And now he died for us so we can live with him. For him, now with him. If you think about that, it's kind of an awesome thought. That one day you will live with him. Can, that, can you wrap that around your head? Can you just, in your sanctified imagination, imagine living with him? Now, uh, Jesus Christ lived here a long time ago. Before the cross, he lived here for 30 and a half, 33 and a half years, okay? 33 and a half years. You were not living with him then. John the Apostle did. Other apostles did. Peter did. Andrew did. And others did. Not us. We were born into way over here. Somewhere over here. Way down, way down the road. Now, when we get raptured, or when we die, and are, are absent from the body, present with the Lord, you're going to be with Christ. You live with him. At the rapture, takes you up. You're going to be with him. In both cases, you will then live with him. Can you imagine living with Jesus Christ in heaven? Not in Kahala or Hawaii. <laughs> living with him in heaven. Can you imagine? He says that he died for us that we might live with him. Would you say this with me? Say, with him. Ready to go. With, with him. That's pretty sick. <laughs> Pathetic. With Ready? With, with him. him. Okay, now say the sentence with me. I'll say it to you. One day I will live with him. That's the sentence. Ready, everybody? One day I will live with him. Now, I know we just said that. I don't know if you believe that, but that's what he said. One day you live with him. That's an awesome thought. That one day you will live with him because he died for you. That you might live. So that you might live for him until you live with him. You're not there yet, ladies and gentlemen. In the meantime, you are you and I are to live for him, for the one we have not seen. Therefore, the one that we will see and live for, uh, live with. Okay? That's simple but pretty deep. Verse 11, 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. Ought is to say, you ought to do this. You ought to be this way. You ought not to do that. You ought to do that. Some things you ought not to do. Some things you ought to do. He says you ought to love one another. Verse 12, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 11 and 12 is important for the Christian because it tells us God is love, but he's also he's invisible. He is the invisible God. You cannot see God. John is saying, if you love one another, love of God is perfected in you. What does that mean? 
That means people, can you see people? Are people ten? Yeah, of course. People who can see people, when Christian people love people, specifically other Christian people, what happens is people who see that and even experience that, they realize that there is a God who loves because we see it manifest in people who are loving. So when he says in verse 12, what he says, no man has seen God anytime because God's invisible. If we love one another, people to people, something tangible, something physical, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. The world sees that God is love because of the way we behave, the way we love. And you thought love was for sissies and for, you know. No, love is a very important practice for the Christian. That's why John has repeated it so many times in First John. And we haven't even got to chapter 5. And in the rest of chapter 4, he talks about love again in practicing it. Because John wants people to see that there is an invisible God who loves. Not only did he come to the world on the cross, but he wants to be revealed in people to people that God is love. And that's how we know that God is love. That's how people see it. By the actions, by the actions. Do you know that in a Baptist church, especially in independent Baptist church, our our tendency, I have to end, and uh, always happens this way. In our in our determination, rightfully so, to be uh, correct in doctrine and strong in doctrine, in that good desire to do that, we better be careful not to bypass this thing over here, because. He makes it important. We should make it important. I feel the last few Sundays going through First John, it's like I have been so redundant. And I sometimes feel like you folks are tired of hearing about what he's saying. But I have to tell myself, I'm going through this book, this short, short book, nearly verse by verse, and I'm just covering what is covered. I have this resistance to doing that because I feel like you think it's redundant. And it's like, oh, I heard that before. And that's how I think. But then I should bypass that thinking. If he emphasized that, I should emphasize that. And it's because we have this tendency of being right up here, but not right over here. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Yes. That's what I mean. That's what he means. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't tell me what you know. Don't tell me what you believe. God says, show the world that you believe in a God of love that they cannot see, but you who they can see, showing love to other people. And I'll just end by saying this. Showing love to other people does not mean permissiveness. Letting people do what they want to do without any rebuke or confrontation at different times when necessary. The fallacy is if you love someone, you never correct them. That's a fallacy. That's not even a truth. That's a lie. See? So all of that is part of it. But so far, I just got to emphasize the main thing. God showed his love to us. That he is, God showed that his love by coming to this world. And we show that God is love through world tendency by we doing what we should be doing toward each other. With the Lord as our model, as our example. You just do not realize how important that is. But you're going to have to realize that by what the Bible says. 
You may not have been brought up this way. It doesn't matter. Now you know how we should be. Then that's how you should strive to be. If it doesn't make sense to you, it's still true. That's right. You don't have to understand everything to practice it. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the scriptures. Help us, Lord, to do what it says. And not everybody can do it with the same zeal as others, but that's not the point. The point is, as you speak to our hearts, as you educate us in the Word, as you, as you teach us, we then need to practice it. And so help us to do that. Help us to get on the right road. Help us, Lord, to not just be intellectually correct. Help us to be correct in our behavior, in our conduct, that people may see that there is a God in heaven who loves and is love because they see it in the Christian. It's not up to us to always win conflicts. It's not up to us to always be right. But it is always up to us to be the loving Christian that you want us to become. Jesus Christ was the epitome of love because he is love, but he was not weak. He was not non-confrontational. He was not passive. He was very proactive. And so help us to have a balanced life like he did. I pray to bless us to be like that. In Jesus' name, amen.